This is Chelsea Wingo. And I'm Amy Covell. And this is our podcast, Hashtag Life Goals. What I always say is, write what you feel. Each week, we examine one of our life goals and figure out what steps we need to take to make them a reality. You know, if you compare yourself to others, you just set yourself up for failure. So come join us. It's going to be fun. How are y'all doing today? This is Chelsea Wingo. And I'm Amy Covell. And this is Hashtag, Hashtag Life Goals. Oh my gosh, this episode I'm excited yet a little nervous about, but you know, that comes with the territory, I guess. This week we're bringing it back to our core goals. We're talking yep. about our career goals with Hashtag Career Milestone Number One. Yes. And what is your career milestone number one, Chelsea? Mine is to write and sell a feature screenplay to the business and get it eventually made. Yay! It's a yay, but at the same time, there's hundreds and probably millions of other people trying to do the exact same thing. So I'm not necessarily like, you know, the only one. That's <laughs> I have true. a lot of competition. That's true. It's very it's, You know, it's a hard business to be in no matter what part of the business you're entering from. Before we jump into our research this week, mm-hmm. let's talk about our past week. What have you been up to? This week, I... Ended up getting sick again. I don't Aww. know. I, I don't know what it was. I ended up getting a kind of a bad stomach bug for uh, for a couple of days, so I was out of commission. So it kind of threw everything back on the back burner, and I was kind of out of it. But then after I got over it, uh, literally the last couple of days, I was just a lot of writing, a lot of work, research stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, I was up to like one a.m this morning technically doing work. So my mind was very frozen. I was just like, I'm feeling very loopy right now. I need to go to bed, but I have to finish this. I don't know what to choose. I need help. Yep. So. And then, you know, and that's where we have this podcast, right? <laughs> Is we want other people to help us make sure that we've got that laser focus on what we want out of life. And to help them too, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, now it's your turn. How's your week been? I've had a very busy week. Really? Very busy week, especially around my life goals. Okay. So around career goals, I have booked a web series pilot that I'll be shooting in a few weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. I will be line producing and assistant directing it. Mm -hmm. So I've got all that going on. Um, I am... I'm up for another job as an AD on a digital project that's mm-hmm. going to be an interactive video. Ooh. So like think Bandersnatch, but more for like a social media platform. Interesting. Well, I mean, social media has become the new way to ingest entertainment right. these days. So, so it'll you have be to go with a really flow. fun project, um, but their schedule is adjusting right now. So I don't know for sure if I'm going to end up on it. Gotcha. Um, okay. The industry is finally out of hibernation. I've actually had tons of work pop up as possible things uh, that I can apply to that are actually work towards my career goals. That is very great. That's awesome. And then in like my health and wellness and like personal growth goals has been very busy this week as well. Oh. So I know we've touched on briefly that I don't drink, Mm -hmm. but I don't drink because I'm an addict and an alcoholic. What? <laughs> what? I know, me. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am. And, you know, and I work I work a 12-step program and all mm-hmm. of that. And this week I am actually helping um, several, you know, two new, you know, people into the program, helping them work through their sobriety. And then last night, one of my closest friends mm-hmm. um, 
has made the decision that she's ready to get sober. That is so awesome. So I am, I'm helping her through detox right now. Oh, so these mm-hmm. are all very difficult things, but they're amazing things. And that is. They, you know, this, that, you know, taking care of that part of myself was one of the best decisions I ever made mm-hmm. and has made it possible for me to actually leave my day job so I can focus on my, my dream career and become a better me all around. So it's such a blessing to be able to help other people take that path too. Okay. All right. So that sounds like a good recap. So let's dive into this research, shall we? Yes. Yes. Please do. Yeah. It's a little different this week because it's not only just research that we find online, but because it's my personal goal, it's some right. of personal research as well, but we'll, we'll get into right. that later. And so this research is very focused on what Chelsea's goal is about selling a feature screenplay. So mm-hmm. it, it all around screenwriting versus around a career milestone in general. Mm-hmm. So um, to kind of give a context to everybody about how competitive the um, industry is, this was um, from an article in The Atlantic that said roughly 50,000 screenplays are registered with the Writers Guild of America each year. Hollywood studios release about 150 movies per year. All things being equal, an unproduced screenplay has a 0.3% chance of being made into a feature film by a studio. So it's, 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 it's tough. It it's is. It's really tough. You know, and there's about 100 or, you know, 100 more independent films that are made per year. Yeah, yeah. And we're not even touching like, you know, the digital medium or television, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter which way you look at it. It is a very small percentage. Yeah. Because I know one of the other big issues is it's like you could sell a screenplay, but that doesn't necessarily also mean it's going to get made. Our guest today will attest to that and will probably tell you the other things that you will be given as soon as you sell it and they're like, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to do it, but we have something else for you. Right, right. And a lot of times they just want to shelf it so nobody else can make it because they have something similar in development. Yeah. Or they like your style and they want you to apply it to something they're already working on. Exactly. And to make that even better because that's what they're focusing on, not your own work. Right. Like when comics get hired to do punch up on a script. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next article, um, it's from IndieWire. It's the top 10 most common reasons why scripts are rejected. So they ask, how many scripts get a recommended, which is about 2%, and that means 98% are dead upon arrival. Why? Number one, the scenes are void of meaningful conflict. I have found that roughly 5% of writers naturally write in a professional level conflict, by which I mean the kind of conflict that hooks a reader and makes them want to keep reading. The under 95% write scripts that routinely get rejected after a scene or two. When I read a lot of scripts for uh, the company that I used to work at for both client management and production companies, for the, for the production company, excuse me, there were definitely times where after a scene or two, I'll read and I was just like, they want to get this made. Not to sound rude, but Right, it's just, right. So you can tell that it's not ready. Yeah. That it's, it's not there. Yeah. Number two, the script has a by-the-numbers execution. It's an easy trap to fall into, especially given how many formulaic movies are cranked out at by the studio system. But given the incredibly competitive landscape for breaking into the business, writing a paint-by-the-numbers script is a surefire where to be ignored. This is interesting because, as we've mentioned before, I am a TA and I also take the UCLA Professional Screenwriting Program. And they teach you about this um, systematic format, but at the same time, they're kind of very encouraging to not necessarily do it 
page by page by page. It has to be kind of roughly around. You have to massage. Right. It's those more of like points, exactly. It's like you, that format is not there as a strict structure. It's there to kind of hold your creativity and give it a focus. Yeah. Exactly. Because especially now with all the different ways that we consume media. Like, yes, people need content and are hungry for content, which should be great for writers. But at the same time, you're competing against content. Mm-hmm. You're competing against more screens. So what makes your script so special that people are going to want to stay engaged and not flip the channel or switch to a different app? Exactly. And sometimes you can't really be like, you know, beat by beat and be exact. It has to right. be a little varied, you know, keep them on their toes. Right. But if you go too far away from something yeah. that is a formula, then since our brains like to put things in a structure and in order, they look for patterns. If it's not following a pattern at all, then that can lose people too. Yeah, exactly. Number three, the protagonist is a standard issue hero and other characters are stereotypes as well. I can definitely see this because I know when I get into my writing, sometimes you just you have an image of who this character is and some and yes it, it can be stereotyped so that's how you write it out as first but some people will just go with that and not try to flesh out that person yeah yeah, yeah. the stereotypes are somewhere to start but it's not who that character is in their entirety yeah what grabs me a lot in a movie is a character that is very 3D and it has one side and the other and you kind of have like a multitude of I don't know where I'm going with this, but you get the point of how yeah, it's like a because well fleshed even out though, painting right. rather than something 2D. Well, and it's exactly. And so that's what we say. The characters are flat. They're two-dimensional if they don't have enough going on. If we don't really – if we believe them – well, we believe the attitude that they're projecting, but do we believe that they have their own separate life outside of the scene? Mm-hmm. Do they have their family? Do they have their own hopes and dreams? Do they have a trajectory that their their life is taking in this world? Suspension of disbelief. Correct. It's really, really important in this industry. Number four, the villains are cartoonish, evil for the sake of evil. (laughs) I mean, this might work for animated kid films, but in a larger context, I mean, our guest today, he talks about this a lot of how the evil characters aren't evil. They were, they just believe that they are right. Their morals (laughs) are skewed. It's not that they're evil. Yeah. It's that their morals are skewed and they are willing to push that viewpoint on everyone around them. Yeah, that's what I was, that's the, I'm trying to remember the exact quote of what he was saying. He'll probably correct He'll me probably later. share it with us when he yeah, comes on. I think, I think it goes along the lines that they believe that they are correct and right. They just take it one step too far, basically. Makes sense. Yeah. Number five, the character logic is muddy, meaning the character's actions, motivation isn't clear or believable. Yes, if it doesn't sound right or it doesn't make any sense, that can take me right out. That's true. Yeah, and now reading back on all of my stuff, like I was doing the last couple of days, I was just like, yeah, no, um, I need to work on that. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yes, it is. Number six, the female characters are underwritten. I like that this is in there because I, I've, now I'm going back on my work, I find that my female characters are like a focal point or I like them to be very strong and confident. And I think now, they might have been saying it's been going on for a while, but now I think female characters We're are definitely starting, seeing that huge shift yes, in the industry. Which I like a lot. I like how they're taking more female characters as these heroic protagonists, but they also can't, are, you know, have all these feelings and emotions are, you know, are still them. Right. And it doesn't make them, you know, weak. weak. Yeah. Too female. Um, they're still female. strong characters. Too female. Yes, too female. No, right? I like that. 
<laughs> exactly. Men men should be able to to female sometimes too. Come on. That's Come very on, true. men. Come on. Uh, number seven. The story's too thin. Twenty pages of story spread over a hundred pages. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know about features, but there's definitely been TV shows that I've read that um, as soon as I read, it's like okay. That's the end of the story. I don't see this continuing on. So right, much, so. right. Um, I think it's great now that we have all of these, um, you know, they are TV seasons on streaming platforms, but you're like, this show's only going to have one season because mm-hmm. really what it is is a mini series. The story is over. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine. I'm glad they have their a place for that kind of content. Number eight, the conflict is inconsequential. Flash in the pan. Conflict arrives, is instantly solved, and the narrative continues unaffected. Yes, I can't say how many times I've come across this in scripts where they just, it's done, and where do you go from here? Yep, I remember (laughs) discussing this in many classes in college with people's scripts about how can we raise the stakes here, how can we raise the stakes here. If you can't raise the stakes here, you probably don't need this scene or this side side story. Yeah, no. You know, this extra storyline. Yeah, we do. We talk about it in class as well about, you know, raising the stakes and that there should be conflict to kind of keep keep it going because mm-hmm. people like they thrive on the drama and they well, thrive on what's happening a well, little bit. Well, the thing is that bit. sometimes conflict isn't as big as like there has to be, you yeah. know, a princess to save. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it is much more internal and they are mm-hmm. are what in the real world we might look at it as lower stakes. But if the emotions are written correctly, they are still high stakes. Yeah, no, exactly. Number nine. The narrative falls into a repetitive pattern. I, I think they would apply this more of like kind of like how the writing format is and writing kind of like the action. Yeah. I, I might be all over the place at this well, point. Well, or this, I think it yeah. comes through that idea of revisiting the same stakes issues several okay. no, scenes yeah. in the movie. No, that makes sense. Not necessarily, yeah. not like in an action movie where they're building on those stakes each yeah. time there's a new conflict. But if you're in a drama or you're in a rom-com, you can't keep having the same thing for them to overcome Yeah. if you're not increasing it, if yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. creating an arc. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Because yeah. then it's just scenes that should be cut. Yeah, no, totally agree. I like, was kinda, we already did that. Yeah, I was getting more technical with, like, how it's written, like, the action line and how, like, that wording and phrasing is this. Because sometimes you'll see them use the same word over and over again. It's like okay, yes, we've seen you describe this as this way before. And right. it's like, what What else is new? Like, Get a thesaurus. Yeah, yeah, get a thesaurus, yeah. Throw some other words in there. Diver- diversify it. Read Make some- it exciting. And then last but not least, number 10, the story begins too late in the script. It's not uncommon for writers to slowly ramp up to the main conflicts in their first drafts. They need time to settle and explore the world and the characters, warming themselves up before diving headfirst into the teeth of the story. But many of these writers fall in love with too much of this pre-story stuff. They fail to realize that they that while they may have needed to write it, we sure as hell don't need to read it. Killing your babies. Yeah, nope. I mean, with me, a lot of the time, even when I have an idea, I go very deep into the backstory of my characters, the situation, what they went through, what's going on, just to get an understanding of who they are. And sometimes I will accidentally transfer to the script. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. my graduating film started as, I think, uh, 26 or 32 pages and ended mm-hmm. up being pulled down to 
14 and in the edit it ended up coming down to 12. Yeah. Um, I also remember when I did study abroad in Elon, LA, we, we had another screenwriter that was also a professor too. And he said that sometimes one of the best stories are the ones that aren't actually told in the script, but what you know personally. So these are place. the things that make our characters real. It's the yeah. same kind of work that an actor does when preparing for a role. But mm -hmm. again, that's what brings verisimilitude to the character it is not necessarily all things that need to be seen by the audience exactly yeah so sometimes what you know you keep it for yourself and you leave it as a little mystery for the audience to try and figure out how did they actually get here mm -hmm. some backstory is great but you know leave some surprises here and there that's right yep all right, so now for the personal research. Uh, regarding this, Amy actually assigned me a task to do because she had said, okay, look, you want to be a writer. You want to write. Look back at all of the films that you've watched. Find your favorites and find those writers. Right, I want to know which yeah. writers influence you as a writer. Yeah, and then when she approached me with this idea, I, I will admit I was a little hesitant and honestly very insecure about it. And the reason is is that We've talked about this in UCLA in class, not to be pigeonholed to a genre, but I find myself like crossing through many of them. Like right now, one of the stories I'm working on is a horror psychological thriller, but I know my next one that I'm going to write for the third quarter is a romantic comedy. And a lot of my stories range in the quote unquote genre. So I'm not really so, one or the other. And the research I did. So it's were, a little harder for then for you to kind of pick where to research. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then also the other thing that I was talking about with Amy offline was in a movie, it's not just the writing. There's the visuals. There's the direction. There's the music. There's the editing. There's a whole lot that goes into this medium of entertainment. So you could like a movie not just for the writing or not only the writing, but you could really only like it for the actors, the direction. So that was another thing that kind of blending in. Right. So it. it's about figuring out like, okay, which of these writers do I like multiple of their works? Because then obviously it's something about the writer that is drawing me to these movies. Yeah. Like uh, before doing the research, the only person that I could really relate to that I love their work the most was Steven Spielberg. But he's not really a writer that much he's a director and producer but he's done a lot of projects that I loved and he also flows through the different genres I mean he's done Raiders of the Lost Ark he's done E.T. he's done Goonies he's done like he's done Hereafter he's done Saving Private Ryan Catch Me If You Can so he's been able to flow through all of these different right like, he's great with working with all of these different source materials yeah, throughout the ages mm -hmm. throughout these I mean he, then he also did the post recently which I still need to watch but I heard great things about it so he's been able to flow through so I kind of want to want to be able to do that as a writer and maybe eventually as a director but yeah so that was really the only person that I could relate to so then I went through I have a list I have an Excel spreadsheet of every single movie I've been I've watched throughout my life it's well over 700 at this point I want to make it to a thousand maybe I by would, this year. I would not even be capable of making such a list. You've seen my music collection. Just imagine <laughs> my my film watching collection. It was actually um, inspired. I would break my brain doing yeah, that. It was actually inspired by someone I used to work with at the client management and production film companies that I was at because he had his own list. And by the time that I was working there, like a couple years ago, he had already broke a thousand. So I was like, dang. I should get into this. A lot of people love to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great for trying to make sure that you mark off some really important or influential films off your list when yeah, you yeah. realize you've never seen them. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it would be impossible to try to keep track of that. Yeah, no, exactly. So I went to my list. I searched all the movies. I searched all the writers. And then I found those writers attached to all those movies. movies. And did you so find some crossover? I did. 
long story short, there was a good handful for sure that were independent writers and directors, but they mainly only had one major film that I had seen from them or one major thing uh, that I knew of very, very well. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have that trope that I like, but again, it's like each individual person. There really wasn't a consistent one. The only one that was pretty consistent was Richard Linklater. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Linklater. Linklater, thank you. Who has done all the before Sunrise, Sunset, Midnight, and Boyhood series. Like he's the very consistent one, like independent writer director. Um, I have narrowed it down to, I think, five, six-ish kind of types, but I'll be very brief. Uh, If I mispronounce any of their names... Fellow writers, I apologize. All right, the first group we, we kind of focused on, you know, young teenagers in love. Those coming, coming of age, age early exactly. relationships. Yeah, and more today's modern day and age rather than in the past. Uh, Scott Nussatter and Michael H. Weber. And they have done 500 Days of Summer, A Spectacular Now, The Fault in Our Stars, and Paper Towns, which I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot of great things about. So, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of that group uh the next one is what i like to call biography drama because there's definitely some so biological drama so usually about either a specific person whether real or imaginary exactly but the whole movie focuses on them yeah focus on them and that writer is anthony mccarton he has done the theory of everything which i loved the darkest hour it wasn't my favorite, but I was very engrossed with the characters in that story during that event. Gary Oldman was great. Lily James was fantastic. And then, of course, of last year, Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. Even though, it was, even though there's been a lot of complaints of how inaccurate it was historical-wise, it's still a movie in quintessential Right. It's artistic license. You're there to make yeah. entertainment. You're using historical fact as the jumping off yeah, yeah. point but the thing is is that someone's life can't really be fully encapsulated in an hour and a half to two hours yeah. you have to cut some corners you have to combine some stories you have to make these changes in the character make sense to the audience who can't sit with them for 80 years yeah unless you're doing it as a documentary then that's completely different not that different not actually. that different okay. it's actually not that different you're still editing in documentary you're still writing a yeah. story and you're still having to cut corners to be able to tell as much mm-hmm. of the story in as concise a way as possible yeah. to still give the audience a full understanding yeah no definitely makes sense but there was just a lot of complaints about it. but then at the same time the guitarist and bassist were producers of this they oversaw the whole thing so they approved all of those um changes in the timeline that's true so they that's were true. Totally that was, fine with it yeah that was so, one of the, it was a very complicated thing actually with yeah. how they wanted certain things to be focused on or not focused on yeah. so it, the, what we got was the best product that we could as true to Freddie as it could be mm-hmm. and um while still trying to keep that balance of the wishes of the rest of the band mm-hmm. and presenting a story that an audience then could feel like they walked away knowing more about Freddie Mercury's life and mm-hmm. the, of how Queen had its trajectory. The next group I like to call Fantastical Wonder because it's kind of more the fanta- fantasy side because I okay. do love those kind of films. Uh, her, this writer is Caroline Thompson 
and she has worked really with Tim Burton on a lot of his projects. She's worked on Edward Scissorhands. She's worked on The Nightmare Before Christmas. She's done The Corpse Bride. And then one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid was Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. I love Homeward Bound. Yes, that was such a good film. So when I found <laughs> that morning, out, cupcake. I was just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's uh, a group that I was like, huh, okay. I didn't realize I liked her style, her way. Okay. Right. And that's one of those interesting things that you find when you actually do start to look into it. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember, um, I think early college years, I started realizing that a lot of my favorite movies included Tom Cruise. Whereas I don't particularly love Tom Cruise. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, he's not a heartthrob for me. I don't think he's, you know, it's not like he's an actor that I'm like, oh my God, he's such a good actor. Uh, But I realized I'm like, the interesting thing I noticed is like, he has the best agent because his agent <laughs> is picking really good scripts for Tom that mm. are going to take him places. Yeah. So that was impressive for me to kind of notice. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The next group I will categorize as romantic comedy. It is a duo uh, and their names are Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. And I did not realize how many romantic comedies they wrote together that I loved growing up. Ten Things I Hate About You, Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted, She's the Man, House Bunny, The Ugly Truth. The Ugly Truth was definitely one that was a little bit more out there growing up that I don't know if I would have loved younger. It was more out of my comfort zone at that time, but I still loved it and I didn't know why. And House Bunny is super underrated. It is actually. Now that I'm thinking back on it, I don't. That movie is great. It is. Re- it was really, really great at the time. It really was. The next group, um, I like to call '80s drama because there's definitely a bunch of '80s movies that I loved. Right, and '80s movies had a very specific feel to them. Yeah, and this kind of um, was kind of probably more kids in rebellion and kind of being your own person. And this writer is John Hughes. Yeah, John Hughes was the mm -hmm. king of a lot of those coming-of-age teenage stories. Yep, Uh, he did The Breakfast Club, he did Ferris Bueller's Day Off, one of my favorites of all time, some kind of wonderful planes, trains, and automobiles. My parents love that movie so much. And he also did Home Alone, the original one. Yes. So that was interesting. (laughs) So, yeah, John Hughes. And last but not least, horror writing. Um, I did not expect to find so many horror films over the last couple of years that I've loved, but it's becoming a new genre for me that I've actually really liked. Mm -hmm. And one of the more consistent ones, I really hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Uh, Lee Winnell. Uh, He has done Saw 1, 2, and 3, and has oversaw the rest of that series. And Saw is a horror series that I just really am engrossed in that story and that idea of how trying to... Right, and that's why it has had so many iterations is because it was so fresh and different. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And the just first kind of... movie especially. Oh, yes. It really did not follow the pattern nope. of a horror film. Nope. And to have such a great actor in Carrie Hughes yeah. in that role and then for him to change so drastically in the eyes of the audience. And same thing with Lee as well because he, he did star in it, but he also had to change as well where he was sporadic and then he became calm and kind of more focused on what the goal was. Right. And then, of course, Tobin Bell, who was... Spoiler alert, he's on the floor the entire time. And then he just becomes this big mastermind behind everything else yeah. afterwards. So that it's movie just, was so groundbreaking that even yeah. if the the follow-ups aren't as good, um, 
that's why we're so interested in revisiting that story over and over and over again mm-hmm. in a new iteration. Yeah. And then he's also done Dead Silence, uh, which is basically, for those that don't know, it's a story about these uh, this puppet um, uh, manip... Not, oh, uh, you're losing me at puppet. Puppets creep me out. <laughs> okay, never mind. Puppets we'll creep into me it. out. But, but I would uh, say my go- brother made me watch Child's Play over and over again when I was six oh, years old. Yeah, no, I'm like, mm. no, Child's Play is not great. But yeah, no, uh, see Dead Silence is actually, I particularly liked it. And then he's also done the Insidious series. Okay. So Insidious was also one of the ones that, I don't see horror movies in, fil- in theaters a lot. I'm weird like that. I'd rather be at home watching it on my couch. So yeah, those are kind of the more consistent writers that I found that I've really liked their work. Awesome. Continuously. Awesome. There's definitely handfuls here and there that I liked their movies and I liked other things, but it's just, it wasn't as big or as like consecutive. So yeah. Because like, like my idea of having you look at that is not just like which writers do you tend to gravitate towards their work, but then you, now that you know and you've identified who they are, you can look and say, okay, what is it about John who's writing yeah. that I really love? What is it in there that I want to emulate in my writing or that I want to improve in my style? Is it the way that they do dialogue? Is it the way that they do tension? Mm -hmm. Um, And those are all things that will help make you a better writer. Yeah. Slight side note, but I remember when I was interning at the company that I was at, we got access to Blacklist scripts. And one of the ones that I read was The Fault in Our Stars before it was even made into a film. And I read that script. I loved that script. And then I read the book. And then I saw the movie that came out. Right. So now just putting those pieces together, just like, dang. I, yeah. Okay, enough about me. Can we introduce our guest now? Yes, please. All right. I'm very excited to be introducing our guest. He is a professor at UCLA. He does the MFA program and the professional program for screenwriting. He is technically my boss. And he is Tim Alba. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> Well, let me say thank you so much for agreeing to come. I will say I was quite surprised because you technically have a very, very busy schedule on your hands on the day-to-day, correct? No, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to give back. <laughs> awesome. So for a little context, he, like I said, he is a professor at UCLA. He does the MFA program, and he also does the professional screenwriting program, which I am involved in. He also teaches at UC Irvine, at Hollins University, Pixar Animation Studios, and Walt Disney Feature Animation and a bunch of your students have done a lot of films that have been in major studios and productions, like All Eyes on Me, The Machinist, Hawaii 501, Blackish, 13 Reasons Why, Magicians, and so much more, correct? Yes. My yes. students have done very well for themselves. <laughs> You'll be next. Oh, mm. oh, well, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. <laughs> so um, could I ask, you know, Tim, like, how did you... S- start into screenwriting like what was your trajectory into this whole career yeah i'll try and be as brief as possible but i was um living in san francisco and managing a law firm and going to school at night and uh i knew i loved movies but i wasn't a writer at all and i um the attorneys that I worked for, they knew that I was uh, interested in filmmaking and they were big movie fans. And they had a lot of clients who um, did limited partnerships for kind of schlocky, softcore, horror porn, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, shot over at the Armory? Yeah, exactly. One yes. of their biggest oh, titles was, uh, I think it was called Hot Tub Zombies, about a guy who'd pick up women in bars, bring them home. They'd get in the hot tub, be like, hey, want a drink? They'd be like, sure. Go in the kitchen, flip a switch. There's a blade in the hot tub, cuts them up, you know. 
boobs, oh. blood, you know, that kind of stuff. You make them for a Such couple a hundred perfect grand. Combination. One of my professors exactly. in San Francisco definitely did work on like one of those schlocky yeah. movies that yeah. was about a giant pig. I think it was actually just called, oh, it was called Pig Hunt. Yeah, exactly. I actually, <laughs> yeah. I found it. Pig stre- Hunt. Pig Hunt. I actually found it streaming one day. I watched it. I just had to. <laughs> it's oh, not goodness. Pig Comma Hunt, just Pig Hunt. Pig Hunt. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and so uh, they uh, they wanted, they did a lot of limited partnerships for these kind of filmmakers, and um, but they wanted to get into kind of the, they wanted to create an entertainment arm in their law firm. And uh, so they knew I was interested in film. Um, there was some talk of me kind of starting that and going to law school. Um, but my last quarter at in university at San Francisco State, I took a screenwriting class because I needed a final class. I was an English major. And um, in that class, uh, it was taught by um, a friend of mine named Peter Allman. He's a producer in town. And... Uh, um, I had a great time in the class. I wrote a script. That script won a competition. One of the judges was the chair of the grad program at UCLA. Next thing you know, I ended up in graduate school at UCLA. And then I spent three years there, and one of the scripts I wrote in grad school was the script that kind of got me into the business and went from there. That was kind of similar for me. Um, I had had to take a big break from college uh, for some family issues. Um, Mm And when I went back to college, it was actually right after I broke my back. And so I couldn't Mm -hmm. work. And so I was like, perfect excuse to go back to college. But I, of course, also couldn't go on full time right away because I'm like, I'm still in a back brace. You know, Mm -hmm. arm casts were off, but the back brace was still on. So I was like, well, I'll take three classes. I'll take, you know, a theater class, an art class, and a film class just to kind of get me back in. So let's get me back in by doing things I like. Because I had always wanted to be an actress and maybe own my own casting company. And I took that first introduction to film class and yeah. it changed everything. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I think it was halfway through the semester, I walked up to my professor. I said, this is what I want to do. And I asked her a whole bunch of career questions so I could like formulate my entire educational career based on that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great that, um, you know, obviously I, le- I read a lot of applications to mm-hmm. grad schools and and I've been involved with a lot of writing students. And, you know, there's obviously the there's one type of student that, you know, uh, since the first time I saw Star Wars, I knew I wanted to be a writer, <laughs> you know, that person. And um, and then there's the person who kind of falls into it, you know, mm-hmm. who uh, who was maybe had a different career and then decided they wanted to try something different. And um, a lot of times their stories are more authentic because they're writing from their experiences as opposed mm-hmm. to writing from what they've watched. Um, yeah. I think those are two wildly different things. Yeah, right. no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember growing up, I loved movies as a kid, but uh, but I was more into like, I did a lot of theater arts. I was in plays. I was in musicals. So that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. But then by the time I got to college, I remember having a tour of the theater arts program with my dad and the head director. Mm-hmm. And they had specifically said, if you go for this program, you're going to do this, 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 and have no time for nothing else. You have to complete, be completely devoted. So then yeah. I thought, okay, going into the other direction, bye. So yeah, for a so couple- it was obviously not for you because yeah. you had that moment of hesitation. You're like- ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. Exactly. So then for like about a year or so, I was still kind of figuring out, you know, what I wanted to do. So I did a lot more behind the scenes with uh, media arts and entertainment. Like I love doing something, but I didn't know exactly what. And then ironically enough, Paul Castro, who is also a UCLA. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, mm-hmm. Paul. Uh, he's also a UCLA alumni. He started working at Elon uh, when I went yeah. to class. And uh, people had talked a lot about his screenwriting course. And I was like, 
I, I want to be, I want to do that. I want to see how this is. And so mm. I was very lucky enough by junior year to be able to take a screenwriting course. And by then that was kind of where I was like, oh, shit, I want to write. <laughs> That's kind of where I realized that I had this other side of me that I remember growing up seeing scenes in my head and seeing pictures play and like have all these things happen. But if I didn't get them out one way or another, I, you know, go crazy. And so yeah. screenwriting became that outlet for me. That's so great. it was just, yeah. okay, this is now becoming a part of my life. I don't know how much, but we'll see. And then now here I am technically taking professional program a second time, but mm. I'm also working at the same time. So I mean, you know, I'm not even a screenwriter, and I took screenwriting two or three times because it's just a chance to continue to hone your craft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, now that I'm even taking it the second time, I feel like I've talked to Tim about this. Things are starting to click. Yeah. Like I understand, oh, this makes sense of this format or these beats or why this is a main focus and why, you know, shouldn't, you know, worry about the little denial and little things about it. So. Well, I think, uh, you know, tying into life goals, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously... Um, you know, it does take a while. It take you know, what's the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. trying to achieve something. And and obviously I've been involved in a lot of the beginnings of a lot of new writers' careers. And, mm -hmm. you know, the typical path is that five, six, seven years from, you know, when you typed fade in on your first thing to yep. where you can, you know, tell your day, bo day job boss to fuck off or whatever. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, and, but I think, you know, that's not the sexy story, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, the sexy story is Matt and Ben came to LA, wrote Goodwill Hunting, oh, yep. know, got to date models, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, you know, but that's, there is, even for them though, there is more to their story oh, than yeah, just totally. that. And what they reveal. Yeah. They just, you know, tell exactly. all the good parts. Because the thing is, is nobody knows about the people who are now successful until they hit the public eye. Yeah. There's all these things that happen in the background. Yeah. First. One of my yeah favorite um one of my this is gonna sound bad but one of my favorite facebook cover photos i had for a long time was one thing that my dad sent me was an iceberg and at the top was like a little bit of like this is what you see success and then there's like this mile long deep chunk underwater oh, yeah, i know that and poster. you see like the stress the anxiety yep. like agonizing like is this worth it like i'm gonna quit yeah. so yeah it like takes a long time and then also ed sheeran said that when he was getting into the music industry there's like a four or five year gap of when there's nothing and then mm. ends up being like one night of success, which led to his whole. All, uh, yeah. Fox all it story. takes yeah. is that one breakout hit, yep. whether, yeah. you know, that's that first for that, that script that finally gets you picked up by a studio versus an independent or, you know, mm. or that song that finally actually hits the radio and has mm. traction and yeah. all it's, that's how it works. Yeah. Overnight is. successes aren't really an overnight success. Nope. It's just, it's just that one thing that was the difference in connecting with an audience and not. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you see it. Um, I mean, I see it with students at UCLA. You get a lot of people who, you know, they pack up their lives and come to LA, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they think that, oh, I'll take classes for a year at UCLA and then I'll get a job. <laughs> um, and there's people in their lives who are like, so where's that job, you know, after your first year of trying this? And and for a lot of people, you know, those are the first scripts they've written and mm -hmm. they really don't know what they're doing yet. And so, you know, you talked about those in the intro, you talked about those writers that you admire, the films that you like. I mean, mm -hmm. behind all those stories are, you know, 10 years of struggle and, no, yeah. and, and even more scripts that will never see the light of day. Um, and, you know, they've also written scripts where you read the first two pages and you're like, nope. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I think no, there's this mis, you know, there's this misconception that once you're a professional, 
it's easy. And, uh, but you know, just like anything else, it's a struggle yeah. and it's no, a challenge. Definitely. And, because at the same time, all you see is their successes. You, yep. You're not in their shoes and kind of seeing sure. like all the, you know, the goods and the bads and everything like that. Or like you said, the scripts that will never see the light of day. All you see is kind of the, all the good stuff that they've put out and you just being a critical person myself, you criticize yourself even more and more and more. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, you can't compare yourself to other people. I think, um, but it's know, human to want to. It's yeah, so easy to do. It definitely is. And, and you know, being in Los Angeles makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Where everything's uh, all about appearances. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, like I here mean, I am. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I think what you have to, you know, and this is what I always say to my students is that, you know, it's, it's, You've got to imagine that it's going to be 10 years from when you sat down and seriously pursued it. Mm-hmm. You know, not this kind of what I like to call tourist writers who, mm-hmm. you know, they go to all the seminars and they take classes and they're working on the same, you know, you'll yeah. run into them at a party or whatever and they'll pitch you their idea and then you run into them two years later and they're still working on the same first act of the same mm-hmm. script and yeah. they're not moving anywhere. Um, you know, you've just got to, you just got to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And I know that's not the sexy approach, right? <laughs> but I it's mean, real. Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously everybody's going to try and sell you a shortcut mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, tell you that they have the secret and there is no secret. I mean, yeah. you know, I've talked classes to the artists of Pixar and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we always laugh about when you see these weekend seminars from these, you know, self-proclaimed gurus, you know, we're going to teach you the secrets of how to tell a Pixar story. And it's like, there is no secret. I mean, the secret is, you know, an engaging character that is flawed, who has to go on a journey that is impossible to achieve. And in the process of pursuing that impossible journey, they change and yeah, no, hopefully it's technically applied to There's every single no Pixar film. secret to it. Um, and I think that's what's really interesting about the process is that, you know, there's this whole industry, obviously, within the industry, mm-hmm. you know, that where supposedly people are helping you. And mm-hmm. many people do. And yeah. and um, I'm involved in that world, too. Um, but there's a lot of people who don't help as well. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful and you have to be diligent. And you have to do your due diligence. So yeah, to speak. no, it's very interesting with kind of how you're mentioning, you know, people that will always go to the same seminars or the same festivals or mm-hmm. things like that, because like as also you were talking about each person's path to their quote unquote success is very different. Like sometimes going to all those festivals and seminars work or reading all these books helps and sometimes doing nothing in that regards, but then your own hard work and kind of sharing with everybody. It's, it's very confusing with what's the right path to go on. And I think that's where people can sometimes get to feel a little lost because there's no clear answer. Yeah. Everybody's path is different. Um, and I think, uh, you know, sure going to a program like, you know, UCLA, obviously that maybe that will accelerate your path a little, Mm -hmm. but I've had students at UCLA who I thought would be huge and they went nowhere. And I have had students at UCLA who I thought were not going to do anything and became huge. (laughs) Not naming names. names. I uh, mean, that's just one of the things that's, you see it all the time in the music industry. You can have the most beautiful voice, but if you're work doesn't find the right audience, Mm -hmm. you're not Mm going to go anywhere. And sometimes it's not even in your control. It's just the, it's just the roll of the dice. Yeah. So what I always say is control what you can control, which is what you do and what you produce. Yeah. Um, you know, and that goes, ties back into not trying not to pay attention to what other people are doing. Now, Mm -hmm. when I broke in the business, you know, social media didn't exist. The internet didn't exist, (laughs) you know, back in the dinosaur ages. Um, you know, and so you couldn't get on Facebook and see, you know, that you're, that some, that guy who you think is a hack in your class, you know, gets a three picture 
picture deal or you couldn't see that. You weren't constantly looking at that. You had no idea. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that was actually, I mean, I hate to sound like the grumpy old man, but those are the salad days because then you, you weren't focused on other people. You could only focus on what you were doing. Mm, and right. I think that's key. And I still would say that holds true today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you compare yourself to others, you just set yourself up for failure. Yeah. But, you know, when not comparing yourself to other people, it's, you know, I think back to when I was living in San Francisco and I had started on this journey mm-hmm. and I had produced my first feature and I was starting work on my second. Now, down here in LA, I am a small fish in a very large pond and Mm -hmm. I have a long way to go Mm -hmm. to make my career goals. But I can still look back at that and remember running into someone from high school on the street and him being like, oh, Amy, what are you doing? And I was so proud to say, I'm producing independent films. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so if you don't compare yourself to other people, like everything I'm doing is amazing. Now I have a long way that I want to go, but each step of that, like, I can do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that confidence helps, especially when trying to, you know, get yourself more out there a little bit. Well, and I think, you know, like you've stated, your life goal is to sell a feature and have it produced. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's a great goal, and it will come. But I think you then have to break it down into tiny goals. Yeah, So in other words, the Mm -hmm. first goal is... Uh, turn on the computer. Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Like your year goal this year, isn't it just to complete a final, to complete a first feature script? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It would be around completing a first feature script that, that I would feel very confident and proud of to kind of share and be more be like, okay, I want to share it with more people, see what they think and they feel. Mm-hmm. Cause I've written features before. Cause I, yeah took the program last year and I've written other features, but I've just never felt very confident with them. But now kind of with what I have in my tool belt and what I've learned, I'm feeling more confident the more that I write. And so this would be probably the first feature that I'd be like, okay, I'm going to finalize this and I would like to show this to people and see what they think and get their thoughts and see where where it goes from there. Well, and what you just said, the more that I write, that's an important phrase. And again, you know, because of the circles I run in, you deal with a lot of people who, you know, are like you, you know, who are starting out and, and wanting to break in. Um, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it, which is yeah. the beauty of, you know, taking a class wherever you decide to do it um, or working independently with someone. You know, you're beholden to someone. You have to do the work. You have to, com- you know, produce, produce, produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, and this is again based on my 25 years experience um both teaching and you know doing it is uh that um you know you probably won't really know or have that well you're never going to have supreme confidence i think there's this misnomer that you know <laughs> people are like oh you know those people you listed on your favorites list you know i think you know a lot of people think oh they wake up in the morning and they whip out 10 pages and it's no problem and they never doubt themselves and they never i mean i've read some really shitty first drafts and from some really huge writers um <laughs> things that you would never want to show mm-hmm. to people you know in the real world um and i for in my experience it's at least 8 or 9 scripts before you really know what you're doing and know what you want to write about. Yeah. Would you say like when you're talking about the eight or nine, this just is a question that popped up. Do you think it's like mainly just like one of like one features or one shorts or could it be a mixture? Cause I've written a mixture of shorts yeah. and features and even TV shows. Yeah, no, I think, um, well, here's the thing. I think it's uh, I wish I was 30 years younger cause that it's a 
really, you know, even though you brought up those statistics earlier about, mm -hmm. you know, how many scripts are registered with the Writers Guild and how many are actually bought and then how many actually get produced. And yeah, the numbers are minuscule, but that's only a tiny, tiny fraction of the business. You yeah, know? no, um, that was mainly like I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the idea of selling a spec today and then mm -hmm. it goes on and gets produced, you know, I mean, that's 1% of the business, you know, mm -hmm. the majority of the, you know, that script you finish is going to be the thing that gets you in the door. Yeah. And then, you know, you're going to go on the couch and water tour. You're going to meet a ton of people. They're all going to give you that book that they've been trying to crack for 10 years. Yeah, and yeah. Why don't you take a crack at it? And at the same time, there's 15 other newbie writers taking a crack at that book too. And you're never mm -hmm. going to get that job, but you continue as uh, my friend, Dave Johnson who also teaches in the professional program at UCLA says, you're, you're failing upwards. Failing. So in other words, you know, <laughs> like your that. first failure is, uh, um, well, your first success, your first success is you wrote, you finished a draft. Yeah. Uh, but the failure is it sucks. Yeah. Then your next success is you write a second script and, uh, the failure is one person reads it and passes, mm -hmm. you know, you get the drift, you know, and yeah. you just, you know, and, and ultimately your top failure is, you know, you get a movie made, but nobody sees it. Right? <laughs> um, so, yep. you know, it just, it, it, it is what it is. And I think, um, I think there's two types of people pursuing this. One are, and they both have their place in the industry, but one is the people who just, you know, they like the sexy story. They want to get rich. They think that movie writers are really rich, you know, and you know, the reality, They're super not. Yeah. The reality nope. is, you know, the average salary of a writer's guild member is probably 80,000 a year. So, mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are people making millions, but then there's a lot of people who aren't making anything. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's the people who just want to get stories told, who just want to see their stories made. And it's an amazing time for new artists in any visual art. I think of visual storytelling now is just with the proliferation of, you know, all the different types of streaming services, mm -hmm. you know, anything you can do, the opportunities are endless. I mean, when I broke in the business, there was five buyers and those were the five major studios and mm -hmm. then the three networks. I mean, there really was only ABC, NBC and CBS. <laughs> um, I mean, think about it today. I mean, you know, Facebook, you know, yep. produces their own material. Yep. Um, and, yeah, you know, uh -huh. and it's, and the landscape is forever changing and it's, it, and that applies to features and to TV. Um, mm -hmm. you know, TV right now is kind of having their renaissance, but, but that just bleeds into other stuff. I yep. mean, Netflix isn't just producing television. They're also producing feature films. Yeah, no. And the opportunities really are endless. Yeah, yeah someone I know very well, um, he is producing a Triple Frontier uh, which is going to be in selected theaters first and then goes out of Netflix, which mm -hmm. is going to be a whole new sure. way of, you know, promoting and getting revenue for the movies that you make by putting it into the theaters first and then taking it to digital streaming yeah. after a while. So it's going to be a whole new way of kind of getting that audience in. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what's my advice? I mean, my advice, and uh, it was interesting to listen to all the writers that you found intriguing, mm -hmm. you know, in that in almost each one of those instances, they were taking something that was familiar and making it different. So, yeah. um, you know, so like the Saw movies, which, yeah. you know, I'm not a big horror fan, <laughs> but I can appreciate the fact that, like you said, you know, in the first film, somebody's on the floor the entire movie, right? That's it. Doesn't the movie open and someone's chained to a sink or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're both chained. They're both chained to that room. You think is dead. Yeah. There's blood under him. Everybody thinks he's dead the whole yeah. movie. And you know, for me, because here's the thing, and you, it sounds like you worked for a production company or a management company, yeah. and so you read a lot of scripts, mm -hmm. and and you know, and it goes back to that what you the the numbers you cited about you know scripts written and scripts produced. Um, 
you know, one thing we're overlooking is that 99% of those scripts really do suck. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're just yeah. bad. Yep. Um, I see a lot of stuff come across yeah. my desk and when, um, and it's like, I have to look at it differently, whether, um, I have been asked to produce it or whether I'm coming on it as a production coordinator or as a line producer or, um, an AD. Cause it's like, if it comes through on that end, I can't say anything about it. Yeah. I just have to go, mm-hmm. oh, someone gave them money for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's a little easier yeah. when it comes through on the other end because I go, okay, let me give you some feedback. Let me give you some directions to take this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of bad writing out there that still finds a home. Yeah. You know, oh, sure, sure. which is what makes it hurt so much worse when you see all the good <laughs> writing that never finds a home. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think, but I do feel like that the cream rises to the top and, um, you know, eventually you will be found. And so, mm-hmm. but again, I think it all comes back to, and, and this in no way, I'm not belittling, you know, the pursuits of people and the struggles is that, but I get asked all the time, you know, what do I do to break in? And, yeah. and literally the answer is super simple and it is be an idea generator and write. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously because of my position, I get approached by representation all the time asking me for, you know, who's the hottest new writer, you know, who's your best new student, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then, you know, if I have someone that I think is a good fit, I'll refer them and they always ask, okay, is this, is this person just the best person in the class or mm-hmm. is this person really good? Yeah, um, yeah. And what they're looking for is idea generators, people who can continually produce material because mm-hmm. they don't make money if you don't make money. Yeah. Um, and so first and foremost, you just have to create a catalog. And how do you create a catalog? By working, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, by, by producing, by writing. Mm-hmm. But also what I always say to people too Um, you know, breaking in or trying to break in is that what you really need to do, I don't like the phrase, write what you know, um, because Mm -hmm. then a lot of people take that literally. And so if you're a barista, somebody writes a movie about a barista. Well, that could be interesting. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, does that scream movie? I don't know. But, you know, what I always say is write what you feel. And so, I mean, the perfect example of that is um, my friend Steve Bagatorian, who wrote All Eyes on Me, Mm -hmm. um, who he wrote a script when he was a student of mine uh, called Don't Fade Away Funny Man. And it was the story of a comic that tells a joke that starts World War III. Comedy is outlawed. All the comics move underground uh, (laughs) to escape persecution. They wait for the arrival of their savior, who appears in the form of a fat 10-year-old kid who doesn't have a sense of humor. All right. That's a wildly original idea for a movie. Was, mm-hmm. Is Steve a comic? No. Um, has he ever lived underground? No. But he's an Armenian-American. He knows uh, he's a high school dropout. His family uh, didn't like his you know, choices of pursuits uh, in what he wanted to do. So he was writing what he felt, which is misunderstood, persecuted, mm-hmm. put out aside, Isolation. not taken seriously, yeah. all those things, and then put it into the context of something that's big and unique and different and fresh. So mm-hmm. same thing with The Machinist. I mean, Scott Kozar wrote that script in my class. Um, you know, brilliant script, great movie. Um, you know, he was going through a difficult time in his life. He was having a hard time is that sleeping. The one, yeah, the one yeah, about... Christian Bale movie. Okay, because I'm like, there's that pounds. one and then there's that other... Ex Machina. Ex oh no, yeah, no. I haven't no. seen Ex Machina, but I no. have seen the yeah. Machine. Yeah. The Machine is no. Christian Bale. Oh, it's a very, very creepy movie. movie. It's very, it's a yeah. hard watch. Oh, it is yeah. definitely. Now, now Scott's not a machinist, 
but he is somebody who was grieving the loss of somebody close to him and was having a difficult time. And so he took what he felt and put it into a movie about a guy who hadn't slept for a year um, Mm -hmm. and the repercussions of that. So, you know, too many times I think people, new writers are derivative of what they've seen. So in other words, you know, they saw the latest whatever, so they're going to chase that trend, which is stupid. Because um, <laughs> it dies uh, eventually. Yeah, exactly. Well, that trend has already left the station, you know, a right. long time it, ago. It's already died. Yeah, usually. it's already gone. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, that's why I just tell everybody, write the movie only you can write. Mm-hmm. Now, but that doesn't mean write the story of a barista who, you know, blank. You know, to me, what I always say to people is like, uh, um, you know, the story of your mother's funeral and the, you know, the gathering afterwards, that may be important to you and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, But how do you make it universal? You know, how do you make it something that everybody can relate to? You make it Um, one of those movies that's really about how um, our complicated families mm -hmm. and like how, how everybody goes and has these separate journeys. And then every time you get together for that Thanksgiving, Christmas, funeral, wedding kind of thing, how everything clashes or how that's where the interest is in that story of your grandmother's funeral. Now, I'm just thinking about yeah. that uh, Tina Fey and Jason Beta movie. I can't remember the name of it, but basically they had something like that where there was a funeral and then everybody in different sides get together for one weekend. For me, yeah. <laughs> for me yeah. the perfect example is Always Home for the Holidays. Mm-hmm. Always Home for the Holidays. Sure. With Holly sure. Hunter. Everybody that can was, relate to that. That movie's right. amazing. Right. Yeah. Right. No, definitely. Oh, yeah. And then also what's also challenging is that though the paths are different, there is still technically a format in some way for how a script or a movie needs to be with the first act, the second act, oh. the third act. Like there's still that, there's, there's, there's still that skeleton. Well, cause that skeleton goes still- through all, to- all types of, of creative writing and storytelling. And mm-hmm. that goes back to the beginning of not just the written word, but the spoken word. Yeah. Because subtle. it's like, yeah, it's again that, you know, how the brain looks for patterns. And so that's why there's a structure. Yeah. yeah. So it's looking for patterns, but also looking for something that's unique and different at the same time. Well, I wouldn't call it a formula and a lot okay. of people, you know, I would say it's an identification of patterns. So, um, you know, a lot of people rail on film schools or whatever saying, you mm-hmm. know, oh, they're just teaching people to write to the formula or blah, blah, blah. Um, Maybe we are a little bit, but I would argue that that formula works um, if you look at the success of our students. Building blocks. Yeah. 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 I mean, every movie, here's the the thing. You talked about, you know, writing too much, like the story taking too long to start. Yeah. One of the things you read. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I like to say that every movie starts at the crisis point in your protagonist's life. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what is that crisis that happens? And that should happen within the first 10 minutes. And so usually in the first 10 minutes of a movie, you set up who your main character is, what they're situation is and what their problem is Mm -hmm. and that's you can watch 10 go to netflix and pick 10 movies and i guarantee you nine of them will do that in the first 10 minutes whether it's a marvel movie or a little indie they all do it and another thing to keep in mind too is that when people say oh you know you're you know they talk about formula i mean everything does have a beginning middle and an end right aristotle is the the king of plot. And <laughs> yes. I mean, and mm-hmm. if you think about it, I mean, you know, your day has a beginning, middle, and an end, right? You wake up, you do your thing, you go to sleep. Your life has a beginning, middle, and end. You're born, you live, you die, right? Mm-hmm. Jokes have structure. Commercials yeah. have structure. Everything has a structure. Yeah. And usually it is that beginning, middle, end structure. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we teach that to people. So, and we teach them, you know, the basics 
so that they have a foundation to work off of, and then they can play with it. Mm-hmm. You know, too many times, so like 500 Days of Summer, you know, which mm-hmm. I think is a brilliant movie and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Agreed. a movie that takes the rom-com and kind of turns it on its head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a linear structure. It Mm-mm. goes back and forth. It's kind of all over the map. That's it works. what makes it feel fresh and different. Uh, what's the... Um, What's the rom com out right now with uh, with Rebel Wilson? Yeah, isn't it romantic? Yeah, so yeah. That, that I really want to see the rom com genre. And I really flips see it that. on its head, right? Yeah. And so, what you have to understand is, I mean, and I'm not even a major player, and I re- get you know hundreds of scripts, mm-hmm. and it's like they're all the same. And so, when you read one that's different, it pops out to you, and it makes you remember, mm-hmm. um, right. and it whether makes you want to turning show it, it something to on its head, or whether it's taking a stance on an issue that's that's not common, or showing a character that you would never think to zero in on. Right. So, like that barista story could be really amazing, if you're really if it's really just about that barista, and if you took that stance of it being ver- a very tight film just in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it could be a really interesting story because it's this microscope on one person. Yeah. And one very common experience and then seeing the individuality within him. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think a movie that follows that to a T, which is one of my favorite movies, is Tangerine. Absolutely. Which was made for $7,000 on an mm-hmm. iPhone. Yep. Um, but it is a universal story about identity and love and finding your place in the world. Mm-hmm. But... And this is what I think differentiates it and what you should think about when you're trying to differentiate your own writing is that Mm -hmm. it has a very specific point of view and attitude. And so you have to ask yourself, what am I trying to say? You know, what's my point of view on the world? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, I'll go back to Don't Fade Away Funny Man. You know, I mean, it's about a group of comics that are trying to regain their lives. But what it's really about is respect and mm-hmm. um, and being able to do the things that you're passionate about and being able to stand up to, you know, authoritarian regimes. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, and it's got that little bit of a, that sci-fi you know, philosophy underneath yeah, it yeah. where all sci-fi mm-hmm. is based on social issues. Yeah, and that's Steve's point of view, mm-hmm. you know. And so you want, you know, um, a writer that I admire very much is Alan Ball. I mean, all of Alan Ball's stuff is really dark and twisted, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, American Beauty, uh, yep. um, uh, True Blood, uh, Six Feet Under, you know, he mm-hmm. has a very specific point of view and attitude on mm-hmm. the world. I mean, mm-hmm. what is American Beauty about? American Beauty on its surface is about a guy trying to have sex with an underage girl. But what it's really about is a guy becoming a better father and a husband. Mm-hmm. And then he, spoiler alert, he dies anyway. So mm-hmm. what is Alan Ball saying? What he's saying is you better appreciate life now because you never know when you're going to get shot in the back of the head. Right. right? You can't um, wait till the last minute to have this huge, this huge crisis of faith and change in yourself. You've got to learn how to be the best you you can be every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the irony to all of that, which is, I think, his attitude and point of view is that how is this how does this guy learn how to be a better father and a husband by trying to do something that isn't very good right (laughs) and so there's that irony there that i think if you look at all of his work it's in all of his work so that's what we call a voice Mm -hmm. that's his point of view that's his voice and voice isn't you know how loud somebody yells it's what they feel what they think what their point of view is and that is lacking in most of the scripts i read and this is like on personal, but I feel like another, like you're talking about the voice and insecurity that I have was that, um, with a lot of my stories, 
as I mentioned, they crossfade in different genres. Like it's not just really one or the other. So my worry is that, oh boy, I'm starting to get emotional. (laughs) That if I start with one story, what if the next one that I bring, it's not exactly like that or like my voice isn't as heard because it's a completely different genre, a completely different feel, but it's still a story that I want to tell regardless and kind of have that. So that's a worry of mine to just be so eclectic and different that. Yeah. It's like, and what the hell is she thinking? What does she want to tell? Fear. That's a legit fear because well, sometimes, you know, if you do sell a script to somebody and it's a rom-com and they come back to you and they're like, we need a new script and you give them something that's horror, they're like, this is not what we wanted. Right. But that's okay. That script could be for selling to somebody else. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, my advice to everybody, and you've heard me say this in class, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, when you're starting out, you should, you know, you dabble in everything. You try a bunch of different things till you kind of land on the thing that you're that you know that you're good at mm-hmm. um and so again i'll go back to those writers that you mentioned you know they all write in a certain you know all their produced work is in a certain genre right yeah certain um, genre. you know a cer- that's their that's who they are basically but a lot of that comes from getting locked in that box so for example you know the script that i used to break into the business is kind of a dark bonnie and clyde lovers on the run with a 40 year old female protagonist and you know it took six or seven years for the script to sell but what I did during those six or seven years was rewrite a bunch of other scripts you know for actresses in their 40s who they wanted their scripts to be just like the one I wrote they Mm -hmm. just didn't want to buy the one that I wrote Um, (laughs) and so and that's usually your first gig you know and then you do that for four or five years and you do really well and but you get frustrated because either the movies aren't getting made or they are getting made, but your name's not on it because you just came in and rewrote some stuff and you didn't yeah. do enough work to get a credit. And so, but ultimately what you're doing is you're honing your voice and you're becoming better and getting stronger. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of branch off and do what you want to do, mm-hmm. but they're going to put you in a box. You know? Yeah. I know. And, that's and, and that's okay. I mean, that, I understand it completely. The stakes are really high and you know, like you just, like you said, for sure. It's like, um, yeah, if you break in with a rom-com and you get an agent, you know, and that agent sells the rom-com, you're going to get then get sent every rom-com, rom-com. script that's mm-hmm. in development with offers to rewrite those. Yeah. And then you go, all right, no, I want to do this. And you present your agent, you know, mm-hmm. your, your Elizabethan costume drama that is, you know, a drama. And your agent's going to be like, well, what the fuck? Which one are you? Are you rom-com or are you... Yeah. You know, Elizabethan costume drama writer, because those are two completely different worlds, two yeah. completely different set of buyers, you yeah. know, different situations. Right. Yeah. That's why part of um, my my career goals is, you know, I want to get into the DGA and work as an AD. I want to continue to produce. Mm-hmm. I enjoy line producing and I enjoy creative producing, but my goal for the producing side is really more to stay in that indie world. So then I can do projects that I believe in, that I... Um, want to see get to an audience Mm -hmm. but I can choose to kind of pick to do whichever creative piece comes my way I don't have to be a specialist at doing you know CG movies I'm not going to be doing all transformer movies for my career or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. you know I can just kind of work work with where it takes me yeah no I feel like one of the benefits of independent film but a lot less of the mm-hmm. glory. Yeah. 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 And don't, and don't get me wrong. Um, when, you know, when your representation says that to you, you're more than welcome to say, I am every type of writer 
that you'll mm-hmm. ever meet mm-hmm. and write what you really want to write, yeah. you know, but that comes with some risk, right? Yeah. Because those people work for you. You want those people to be excited about what you're doing and hopefully you're in a relationship with management or whatever who will be supportive and understanding. It's just like that scene in being John Malkovich when, <laughs> you know, when Craig decides, you know, or when Malkovich decides, even though Craig's in him, uh, Malkovich <laughs> decides he doesn't want to be an actor anymore. Right. right. He goes to his agent and he says, you know, I want to be a puppeteer. And the agent's like, great, no problem. Let me make some calls. That's hilarious because that would never, never happen in real life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the agent would be like, I'm going to ruin your career, you asshole. But, you I mean, know, how I mean, often does that even happen when we go to our parents and we're like, hey, mom, yeah, right. uh, I'm going to drop out of, you know, med school because uh, I want to <laughs> own a pizza parlor. Right. <laughs> well, and that's why you have to decide why you're in it and why mm-hmm. you're pursuing it. Are you pursuing it to write big popcorn movies and hopefully get those made and, and do really well for yourself? Mm-hmm. Or do you are you in it because you want to tell personal stories that are unique to you? That's a harder road to hoe, right? I mean, yeah. that's more difficult. The, the obstacles are bigger. But I would argue you've got cell phones. Mm-hmm. You've got access to Vimeo. Yeah. Uh, I mean... My 18-year-old daughter makes a movie a week on her cell phone. She has her own YouTube channel with 5,000 followers. Nice. You know, it's like, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is, you know, the thing that sometimes people, um, you know, that they forget now is that you you are the master of your own domain and destiny, for that mm-hmm. matter. And, you know, my advice to all writers is control what you can control, which is your output. You can't control what the other people are doing. You can't control what your agent's doing, what your manager's doing, what the studio's doing. You can't control what the people around you are doing in terms of other writers. All you can control is what you do and the opportunities for you to do things that are unique and different that will lead you someplace else are, are you know, astronomical. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're endless. Um, you know, my ex-student Amy Aniobi, who just signed an overall deal with HBO, um, you know, and has been a producer on uh, Insecure and Two Dope Queens and wrote on Silicon Valley. And um, I mean, she started out a friend or she and a friend of hers, Lisa McQuillan, they decided to make a web series and they made a web series called Amy and Lisa are black and they're both black. Amy is darker skinned than Lisa. And it was all about how they get treated differently just based on their skin color, even though they're both black. And it was just them sitting around talking about their lives, but Mm -hmm. it was funny and it showcased their voice and somebody saw it and one thing led to another. And so, you know, they weren't writing. I mean, they were also writing spec TV scripts and features and, but they were frustrated and where things were taken them so they're like hey let's do this it opens up a whole new world Mm -hmm. right and so that is somebody taking the bull by the horns creating something that hopefully somebody else sees and you move up the ladder yeah i think like kind of what you're talking about between big popcorn movies and independent even though independent is a lot more harder i've been finding that some of the films that i really love are more independent because Mm -hmm. they get to tell the personal stories that they love and they get to tell stories that they you know, if they feel, sure. and I think it's like, a, so, and I feel like I have a lot of those stories. I literally have like three drawers worth of ideas and s- things I've dabbled in yeah. and yeah. they might vary in genre, but m- they are kind of independent. There's like some that are like, Oh, big popcorn. They require like all these CGI and things like that. And like maybe for those for studios, but at the same time, I think my heart is a little bit now independent ish. But again, mm-hmm. I have to see where it goes. Cause like I said, I'm writing a horror and next is a romantic comedy. And then the last one was like another romantic dramedy. So it's just like, and that's okay. Write as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim, again, for coming by. I mean, 
I work with you every single week and now I just feel like, okay, I need to rethink, repurpose, refocus. <laughs> right? This was like a whole extra class for you. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you had a private <laughs> no, in a great way. In a great for way. For free. Yes. Thank you so much, Tim. You're welcome. Really, Thanks really appreciate it. Of course. All right. And then next, hashtag hunt. Yes. Alrighty. So we're going to go into our hashtag hunt. This is the part of the episode where we talk about what we found on social media mm-hmm. about our particular topic when looking for that hashtag. Yes. Now, I did look for hashtag career milestone. I didn't find a lot on some of the sites. On some of them, I did. And so I'd also searched hashtag career goals because this falls yeah. under our category of career goals. Mm-hmm. So some of them are under career goals. Some are under career milestone. All right. Let's hear them, Amy. Okay. So we, you know, they, a lot of these are a little bit on the longer side. But Pick that's, and choose. But that's, you know what? That's okay because I think they're valuable. Alrighty. The mind is perpetually stuck in the future, worried about tomorrow instead of tomorrow's yesterday. It's as if we're running toward an elusive finish line, lured by the temptation of retirement. Hold up. Why do we move so fast? Skimming and skipping produce a race to the bottom. We expect the algorithms and Google shortcuts to provide the answers and solve a lack of intelligence. Learning of patience through experience stokes pure wildness. It is how we evolve. Insecurity is life. In the attempt to lock it into place, we forfeit the musicality of motion. Putting down the irreality of our screens foregoing speedy impressions, we finally realize our potential. This pace is the place to be. Yep. Yep. There's definitely times where I found myself going way too fast with everything around and then just like stopping and taking a moment. It's like, whoa. It's mindfulness. It's being in the moment, being here to live your life. Don't live your life in the future because that's not living. Tell that to my anxiety. (laughs) Well, tell my anxiety not to live in the past. Okay. (laughs) Well, and I think that applies to screenwriting too. People are in a rush and they Mm -hmm. want to send their stuff out really fast. Yeah, exactly. Like not ready. Let's do this in two years when it's Mm -hmm. like you said, takes like four or five years under the radar, you know, trying and then someone notices. Yep. Exactly. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. Career goals from children. We're praised when we want to be someone else. What do you want to be when you grow up? Myself. Ah, uh. <laughs> That's a really beautiful way to think about it. That, like, that why is. are we being praised for wanting to be someone else? I want to be me. Okay. This one was a milestone for somebody. Okay. Now I can go public more. It is with great pleasure that I announce I will finally be making my pivot to HR as an HR generalist system-wide fellow at the UC office of the president. I set my intentions a year and a half ago, and I'm finally doing it. Nice. Congratulations. Nice. Yeah, it's good. Good for them. Light applause. Light applause. Making a change can take time. Stay focused and keep looking towards your goal. I need to print that quote, decorate it, and put it on my wall. Absolutely. <laughs> it's I, this. You know, it's the whole reason we got together to do this is focusing our our intentions so we can reach these goals. Yeah. Sometimes we need that daily reminder. Wine tastes better when you can afford it. (laughs) Here's someone else's milestone. I'm now officially licensed as a professional counselor in the state of Colorado. So all of you Broncos fans experiencing depression and anxiety throughout the season, give me a call. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) I guess that's one way to drum up business for your practice. If I was more 
into sports, then maybe I would have Well, because anytime no. someone looks up hashtag Broncos, they're going to see that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Here's another milestone. My live report on MSNBC just got bumped by Cher. Oh. Mm. Hashtag career milestone. <laughs> All right, here's someone. Here is a kind of social milestone. Okay. It says, I think some celebrating will be in order today. And it shows that their page has 9, 9,999,003 views. <laughs> right? What is it is the Good. question. <laughs> um, it. It's. I think it's. I think it's an article they did on Forbes because they did it at Forbes and they okay. said hashtag career milestone. So I'm assuming that this is someone's article that's almost at ten Nine million, million views. views. Ten like, million views. Yeah, jeez, really cool. Hashtag career milestone. Just shaved the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why they needed to shave their mustache for but their good career. For, you. for their career. For that they hit puberty. Right. What's the context here? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then our last one is, I have a love-hate relationship with writing. I tend to struggle with having something to say but not knowing how to put it into words and turn it into a story. I'm not sure I'd be able to make it as a writer, but just like Dustin Lance Black, writer of Milk and When We Rise, I'm very passionate about certain topics and causes and I feel the need to share my thoughts with others. He also included a fun fact. Fun fact, Dustin has a very interesting and complex screenwriting method in which he writes down specific scenes and moments on index cards and then arranges and rearranges them until he ends up with a script. Yeah, no, a lot of people, this is something we've talked about in class to put, we, I actually did this last year where we put the scenes on index cards and then I did the same. Yeah. Them. Yeah, exactly. Cause sometimes it's really clear to you the linear, the, the linear action that's going to happen. And sometimes it's just not. Yeah, yeah exactly. To, to be able to rearrange it. I'm a very like, like hands on like physical to like way of learning and stimuli. So, right. And yeah. if you're doing a movie like Memento, you can't write it linear. <laughs> I mean, you might write the first script linear. So you know that you're not mixing up the beats, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. you got to put it, cut up those pieces and make them a whole new puzzle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Um, you have some stuff from our social media platform, right? Yes, I do. Uh, some lovely friends had submitted some of their career milestones that they would like to achieve or they have achieved. One of my friends has said, uh, start working for a fitness company which she has, when she's been battling with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. And her, her reasoning for this is that she, growing up, fluctuated with her weight and she was never happy with her image and she just didn't feel great. But now she's been able to work hard and she loves the work that she's paid off and she loves how she looks and she wants to be able to be involved in that industry to bring right. that to the people. For her, that was something that seemed unobtainable, but then by the challenges that life sent her with the Hashimoto's and the, and the hyperthyroid, mm-hmm. um, now she's found a way to harness those things to help her reach that goal. Yes, definitely. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, his name is Raj. He um, went to Elon with me as well. He's also a fellow cinema student. He, I asked him what his career milestone is because he watches a lot of movies and he said to own a movie theater. And his reasoning is that it's a palace and a place where people can celebrate the joys of cinema together. Because he enjoys going to the theater so much and 
taking in all this new media and ingesting it all and kind of like reviewing it. Like he loves it so much. So he wants to be able to create that same joy and that same spark, but not just like any brand theater of like one of like AMC. He wants to make like his own kind of art house Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he really wants, I mean, with so much streaming, it becomes less and less common that we actually go to the movie theater. So that's why they're really trying to focus on bringing the experience back into the movie theater. Mm -hmm. Because even if we are watching at home by ourselves and streaming or streaming on our phones, Movies are still a group activity, a social art. Mm-hmm. So it's great to see a movie and go, oh my God, I really love that. But then what do you want to do next? You want to go and talk to somebody about that. You want to share your thoughts, your feelings. Um, because otherwise, you know, yeah. it doesn't have the same value. When I think audiences <clears throat> and audience reactions can um, influence your perception of a movie. I mean, I remember seeing... Uh, the first Twilight film at an industry screening and <laughs> you would have thought it was a comedy. Um, and then I saw it with my then 15 year old daughter and five of her girlfriends and it was, you would have thought it was gone with the wind. Um, you know, it's just a completely <laughs> different movie. I remember the mm-hmm. midnight premiere for Twilight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I-, I was there for the midnight premiere for uh, Harry Potter one and two, and just having that audience there, just like so amped and so yeah. ramped up, ready for yeah. Harry to take on the Dark Lord and well, finish this once and for all. Well, like for me, I'm not going to watch a lot of the, you know, like the Marvel and the DC movies. I'm not going to watch those at home. If mm-hmm. I'm going to see them at all, I want to see them on a big screen where yeah. those effects are going to be the most impactful. Yeah. And then you have that audience that will be very reactive to it. And then the last one is. A friend of mine that also does aerial with me, she works as also a hypnotherapist. So that is her field of study. So when I asked her uh, what she had talked about is that one of her ultimate goals was to help children through meditation be able to express their emotions and feelings. So kind of take her work and help children kind of be able to feel and to be able to express what they're feeling instead of holding resentment because the children are future and they kind of help shape the world. Right. It's just like everybody can do with some therapy. And that's another example. It's like we got to teach each other and teach ourselves how to live in this world and how to communicate with others and how to communicate what we feel. Yeah. And by doing it so young, so that way they're able to kind of be more emotionally balanced and to kind of in her words, spread peace and love because she's a very, you know, very kindred soul. And she's, very sweet. She's very, very sweet. She's so sweet. So yeah, thank you so much for those. Really appreciate it. So anytime that we have a hashtag that you're interested in wanting to submit your ideas or thoughts, feel free to submit it to at Pod at our Facebook page and also our Twitter. Or if you find us on our Instagram social meds, medias, Feel free to do that. Yep. And you can always go on to the podcast and actually make comments on yep. our iTunes or on Podomatic. Yeah, definitely. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Awesome. So now the next segment, challenges. My challenge for last week was to write 20 pages of the feature script I've been working on because I was a little behind. I did accomplish this. I did reach 20 pages. I got the nod of approval from Tim, which is... Very good. <laughs> I know that... We're not it's... promising they're 20 good pages. <laughs> no, they're definitely they're not. 20 pages. No, they're definitely not process. 20 good pages. Process. It's process, yeah. Progress, so, not perfection. Yeah, exactly. So I finished the 20. So I'm happy with that. I definitely want to do another 10 for next week because I 
foolishly made a promise with my fellow writing workshop people that I would get to fade up by next week. So that's going to be fun in So you know what's keeping pushing you along. Exactly. But at least I'm in my third act now, which I was very worried because I wasn't. But now I am, and now I know where it's going so I could just take a nosedive in. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the second act is one of those ones you can kind of get lost in and you spend way too much time and are not sure. You're like, okay, well, I know I want to get from point B to this point Z. I'm like, but... What are the stops in between? Yep. No, definitely was like hindering back and forth, but um, I'm all done, which is great. Great. So you succeeded and you've already got your power in through to next week. Yep. Your turn. All right. So um, like I said, I had a very busy week. You don't even, we haven't even discussed half of it, but oh, we'll yeah. save some, <laughs> some of that for next week. Okay. Um, so I did not okay. get to my, my goal, my challenge goal at all. I was up late last night just even getting what we needed ready for the podcast. So I didn't touch Mm -hmm. it. So right now I'm working on re-editing a documentary I did in college. Mm -hmm. And so I've uploaded all of the footage. I've organized all of it. I unfortunately cannot upload my old timeline. So I have to start from scratch. So I was supposed to review my paper edit and all of my transcripts and then the, the visual edit of my original edit to kind of now that it's been six years, like, okay, I probably don't want to tell the story the exact same way. I've probably got new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm behind. I still need to read my, all of my interview transcripts. I still need to read my paper edit, and I still need to watch the whole thing all the way through. Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, you were so busy, so it's understandable. So I feel bad, but... No, I mean, it's okay, but that's what we're here to do. We're trying to keep each other accountable. So yeah. that way, you know, our dreams aren't just this far off thing. They are something we can reach out and do. Definitely. All right. So assigning you a movie. I'm going to assign to you Before Sunrise. So that, uh, as I mentioned, one of the more consistent writer-directors and dependent features I loved was from Richard Linklater. 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 I still can't pronounce his name right. See, I've never seen any of his movies, but I can tell you (laughs) his name. Yeah, Linklater. So we discussed that. Yeah, that's been Um, on my list. Dazed and Confused? You haven't seen Dazed and Confused? Actually, no, I have seen Dazed and Confused. But like the four that she mentioned, I'm like, I haven't seen any of those. Yeah, he basically did the Before Sunrise series with Ethan Hawke and... And what, I love Ethan Hawke, so this Julie has been... Delpy. Ju- Julie Delpy, thank you. This has been on my list for a while to see, so it's right. perfect excuse. So yeah, start great, with number one movie. before sunrise, which is 1995. Sounds great. It's such a great starting point. It's great. Yeah, so um, so that's still on my list to do. I will watch before sunrise. Okay. Um, so challenge goals for this week. Tim, would you be so kind as to give us each a challenge goal? Oh my gosh. For Amy, I would read the script for the movie that Chelsea asked you to watch. Before, before Sunrise. sunrise. Oh, I like that idea. Yep. Do that. Yeah. Should I read the script before I watch the movie or watch no. the movie first? watch the movie first. Okay, so I'll watch the movie and then I'm going to read the script. Oh, I see where you're going with this. I think this will okay. be really interesting. Okay. So Chelsea, your challenge is to rewrite those 20 pages you wrote last week <laughs> and get them down to 15. Ooh, I, I like it. I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> Tim has talked about that because your routine is that you write like around like maybe like nine, 10 pages or something. You've talked about this in class. Yeah, five pages a day. Five pages a day. And then rewrite the five. That, so then the next day to, to warm up, I'll look at those five and try and get them down to four and then write another five. And then the next day, look at those nine, get them to eight. 
then that's, write another five, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's kind of my process with a lot of the different things that I do. Like whether it's, you know, working on a budget for somebody or writing a schedule. It's like every time I have paused and then I have to pick it back up. I review the work I already did, tighten up, you know, clean that up, and then do another yeah. chunk. Okay, and so. The other thing, uh, one other thing too. Okay. Uh, I want you to watch what you think would be the best movie in the genre that you're writing in currently and the worst movie that you're writing. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Offline, tell me what the genre is and I will give you some ideas. Okay. <laughs> will do. Okay. I will, I will take that. Thank right. you, Tim. You bet. Thank you, Tim. Sure. Well, awesome. It's been great having you on yes, today. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you. Is there it. anything that you want to plug, anything that you got coming up? Well, uh, <laughs> um, Actually, yes. Uh, it, in the spirit of giving back, um, which is what uh, I've been focused on for the last few years, and obviously I teach those courses at UCLA, but um, I've also teamed up with one of my colleagues, Linda Voorhees, who She's has so also great. taught at UCLA for over 20 years and um, has had multiple films produced. And the two of us decided we kind of wanted to branch out and share our knowledge with people who may not be fortunate enough to take classes at UCLA. And so we've created a educational company that's going to do workshops and seminars for screenwriters. And oh, it's called, awesome. it's called propathscreenwriting.com. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, it's called propath screenwriting and the website is propathscreenwriting.com. <laughs> and of course you can find Makes us sense. on Facebook and Insta and Twitter. Um, and we're doing our first workshop in um, Los Angeles, uh, May 4th, mm -hmm. which is going to be an eight hour one day workshop basically covering the four pillars of what we think are a screenplay, which is talking about what makes a classic film, then talking about structure, talking about character, and talking about theme. And it's a great workshop for people who are just starting out to kind of get a, like we like to say, we're going to cram eight, you know, two years of grad school into eight hours. Um, <laughs> or if you're just looking for a jump start, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can come and, you know, be re-energized, so to speak. And so we're doing our first one on uh, Saturday, May 5th in Los Angeles. And you can find out all about it at propathscreenwriting.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank um, you. That's, that's great. I mean, you are such a busy man as it is, so... Add another thing on the top, well, but you're we're working excited hard to do it. We're yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, that's teaching fantastic. is such a blessing. It's so much fun. But yeah, thank you so much, Tim. It was thank so you. Great to Appreciate have you. Appreciate it. All, All right, right, everybody. Well, yes. next week we're covering death and taxes. Oh, Hashtag gosh. death and taxes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I see the uh, look on Tim's face. He's like, I don't want any part of this. I am backing away slowly. Right? Taxes aren't fun. No, taxes aren't not. fun. You guys have heard a little bit of me. You know, this year, because in January, it was all about sending out 1099 information filings for mm -hmm. companies. And then it's March. So right now it's all about filing for companies. Yeah. And then as soon as I'm done with that, it's time to help people with their individual taxes. Oh, yes. So the that's focus cool. is really going to end up being more on... Um, Tax questions as an independent contractor in the entertainment industry. Yeah. yeah. So please, if you have your tax questions, send them in. <laughs> Chelsea is going to be coming up with questions to mm -hmm. ask me. Yes. I will be very honest and give as best advice as I can and defer you to seeking, you know, professional tax accountant advice when I'm not sure. Yes, yeah. because you are the expert in this area. And then I'm only the expert because I've been thrown in this position where I've had to learn. So that's it for today, guys. Thank you again for listening. You can find us at Life Goals Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Chelsea Wingo. And I'm Amy Covell. And this, and this is, is Hashtag Life Goals. Goals. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.